Welcome to Frontline Defenders Rights on the Line podcast, presenting the voices, perspectives, and experiences of human rights defenders at risk and focusing on human rights issues across the globe. On this episode of Rights on the Line, we talk to Elena Shevchenko, the chairperson of Insight, an NGO that focuses on promoting and protecting the rights of LGBTQI plus persons in Ukraine. This year, amidst the crisis of war, Pride Month was different for LGBTQI plus defenders in Ukraine. While Oliana and Insight would usually be organizing Pride events around this time, this year they are providing support and protection to the LGBTQI plus community during the war in Ukraine. Oliana shares insights on the situation for HRDs on the ground during the war, how it has affected the LGBTQI plus and human rights community, and how Insight and other LGBTQI plus groups have adapted their work to support the current needs of the war crisis. So yeah, my name is Olena Shevchenko and I'm from Ukraine. Uh, I'm a chairperson of Insight Public Organization, which is still based in Ukraine. And uh, before the war, mainly uh, we dealt with uh, LGBTQI rights on advocacy level, national, international ones. We also uh, did uh, many researches mm. about the public attitude towards LGBTQI people, for instance, living conditions for trans people specifically, <coughs> also about uh, LGBTQI families. We also uh, did many programs on education, uh, specifically for sensibilization of uh, different specialist groups towards LGBTQI people, and also provided direct services like psychological, legal support, medical specialists. Uh, we had and still have a <laughs> huge base, the database of uh, friendly doctors. Okay. And uh, yeah, we also had 11 branches in different regions of Ukraine. So okay. it's not only like uh, Kiev, the capital, where the head office is, um, but also uh, 11 other regions. And now uh, we still keep nine mm. because uh, two of uh, those which based were based in uh, eastern part of Ukraine now have been evacuated almost um, fully. Okay. And just, you know, for context, before the crisis um, occurred and, and it, what was the what was the situation and the context like for the LGBTIQ community in Ukraine? So talking about the general uh, overview about the situation with rights, for instance, and also living conditions, I would say that we achieved a lot. Uh, especially during the recent five years mm -hmm. and specifically that uh, comes uh, with uh, the public assemblies which is uh, now um, possible to do in many cities of Ukraine and also not only prides but also the public actions protests where people can bring their uh, <laughs> identity openly saying they're LGBT with mm -hmm. uh, flags we also uh, for instance we are uh, doing trans marches uh, each year mm. uh, so it had been like three great marches in the center of Kiev <coughs> before the war and uh, we also like working intersectionally so we are the founders of uh, women's march in Ukraine and, um, it was the largest ever you know uh, mm. event like last year despite of the COVID pandemic we gathered uh, five thousands of people. <coughs> and did you get backlash from the government for these protests and marches? 
not from the government talking about the backlashes it's mostly like from the government side it's mostly um, they attempts not uh, see our problems on the mm -hmm. legal uh, level so they still don't talk about civil partnerships or marriages for uh, lgbtqi the issue of hate crimes and uh, uh, our attempts to put legislation in line with international standards are uh, very hard because they are um, just hearing our opponents from the traditional and conservative sides and ultra rights and uh, for them even the hate crime legislation uh, it's something like same-sex marriages and gender ideology the same uh, also apply to our attempts to push for ratification of Istanbul Convention unfortunately mm. I thought from the beginning it will be easy <laughs> because it's you know against domestic violence gender-based mm. violence but we saw a huge opposition from the Council of Churches of Ukraine mm. uh, which finally blocked any attempts in the Parliament uh, but my hope before the war was like we will be successful this year because we just finished on February the uh, campaign on uh, collecting signatures it was one of the, s the most successful let's say let's be honest campaigns uh, and uh, we hope that in March we uh, would go to the streets and it will be the final steps but the war started so yeah uh, so from the government side, uh, it's mainly like tr they trying to push focus away, like saying it's not the right time for your rights, you know, we have many other issues. But talking about the attacks, that's mostly from uh, well-organized conservatives, mm -hmm. uh, pro-family organizations and ultra-rights, which are pretty violent in Ukraine. They were before the war. And unfortunately, I expect they will be even louder mm. after the war, mm. because now they are trying to show them themselves as uh, heroes who protect in Ukraine, of course. Okay, and, and you know, talking about um, the war and the crisis that is hit, um, we, you know, where's your work at now? I believe that you guys uh, focus has shifted to a bit of a more humanitarian aspect of things and that you've, you've also faced some attacks and backlash for that. So um, share some of that with me. Yeah. Uh, well, when the war started, uh, that was not like a huge plan from our side to somehow um, reorganize our work. Of course, that was difficult, but that's something which you are, you know, starting to do as a response. Mm -hmm. uh, so I remember on the second day of the war, we already put together several psychologists to organize a 24 seven uh, hotline in the chatbot for women. Mm -hmm. Because before we never <coughs> suggested to people such a, um, services only for LGBTQI people. But that time we did it because many women just like call us, wrote to us, like we don't know what to do, it's a crisis situation. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so now it's almost 30 people who work there voluntarily mm -hmm. for women. <coughs> yeah, still 24 seven, like they're changing each other. <coughs> and then uh, afterwards we also realized that there is a need for safe houses especially for LGBTQI people. That's why, uh, I guess, on the fourth or fifth day of the war, 
We already did it in two cities of Ukraine, <coughs> the western cities. And uh, but uh, for myself, I, I stayed in Kiev during two weeks and something, because I still had the uh, like the hope that everything will be you know somehow solved and we will stay there. <coughs> but it just uh, you know was not possible to continue the amounts of our work. Let's say because uh, we never had a decision like to uh, become a humanitarian organization. Mm. You know? And I don't think it will be the one. Mm. Like so the situation calls for at the moment, I guess. Yeah. It's just you're starting to help people, and then you realize that it calls humanitarian aid. <laughs> but it's still a huge uh, misunderstanding, for instance, in Ukraine in general, and also from those who um, requested our support. Mm-hmm. Like they think that humanitarian uh, support and aid is something which is uh, given by somebody mm-hmm. international community without any fees, like they need to have access to it. That's why we usually, not usually, but sometimes receive very weird comments like, uh, you need to help us because that's your obligation. You need to give us the products, you know, <laughs> hygiene. And, uh, people just don't understand the difference because we are not receiving all those like convoys. Uh, we buy in it and we also receive it from our partners, mm-hmm. paying for deliveries, boxes, packing, and then people just do it voluntarily, sending mm-hmm. to different people. We also call to each person who send us the Google form like request <coughs> to see how the things are going on, you know. Mm-hmm. and to ask maybe they need something else also mm-hmm. just to check how they are doing and this is the most hard part of the work not shelters believe me i thought like sh- two shelters oh my god that's mm-hmm. you know you need a huge capacity to do that mm-hmm. uh but no humanitarian uh delivering things communication with people trying to find anything you know in different places and uh, wasting of time on you know endless communication with different mm. donors and international institutions who just don't understand what 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 mm. kind of work we do like they are not very interested in mm. they just uh, you know want to do it easily like <laughs> and i mean it must be difficult as well to conduct this kind of work on the ground when the context is unsafe and, and how do you how have you been navigating that <clears throat> yeah i i changed completely my like approaches to safety and security because i just remember that the first day and uh, like the first three days of the war the only um letters and requests i received from uh, international communities was something like from big donors uh do you have a long-term security plan for your organization uh and i asked them oh my god uh maybe like you have something to suggest to Mm -hmm. us in such situation no we don't have time now to you know gather all people and to do strategic planning for instance not the time (laughs) yeah so uh yeah the huge donors they are totally fucked up seriously and in several cases i even wrote them a letter like we want to stop the um, partnership with you 
because you just left us. Uh, like uh, this uh, one very good example was with Kramatorsk, that's the eastern city, mm. which now are, you know, <laughs> almost occupied. And we had a small project there to support LGBT community and community center. And then they just disappear from the, all the, you know, uh, radars and we keep paying for the rent, for the salaries mm. of people and everything till now, just a few days ago we evacuated everything mm. and then they just came back a uh, few days ago, no, one week ago saying, oh, you know, we started a new program about the rebuilding of Ukraine do you want to apply? <laughs> and I told them, oh, you know, uh, <laughs> I have a bad news for you like taking into account the our partnership, uh, we don't want to work with you anymore. Mm-hmm. And they just replied me something very... But they know those people, you know. Mm-hmm. That That's, by the way, very interesting thing. That this organization have this approach. They hire uh, <coughs> locals and have a huge staff. Like, for instance, with our project with uh, the money of 10,000, were six people mm. who are uh, working on that so you need to keep communication mm. with six different people responsible for very weird things and they usually don't have any human rights background mm. they just those people who hired like had maybe some uh, skills professional skills they don't have any clue about the work mm about LGBT specific human rights agenda and something like that so they are very you know strict and very rude sometimes mm. so this is something which need to be changed I guess but I'm not sure if it's possible yeah so they just replied oh mm, thank you for your uh, answer hope that you know in the future uh, we will have some other contacts mm. it sounds mm. like it's it's tied into the conversation about the the donor recipient relationship where you know there isn't a balance between um donors respecting the recipient's needs it's more like this is what we want to and that's not the partnership approach you know that's just you know this uh, very vertical situation Mm -hmm. then you need to give them everything Mm -hmm. and very urgent like I remember they called me like <coughs> almost during the night, like at 10 p.m., saying, "Oh, I just sent you the letter. Can you just sign it and scan it and to send it me like in the half an hour?" <laughs> wow! Because we are in a rush. <laughs> wow! <coughs> and um, have you? I mean, what's the situation in terms of uh, like the Russian forces in Ukraine and and your work? Uh, have, is there any kind of targeting from the Russian forces on on Insight and, and you guys and yeah? Mm, that's a good question. You know, the, the main fear uh, from LGBTQI community is, of course, that's the possible occupation yeah. to live under occupation. We had this experience in 2014. Uh, like not me, but those people who came from Donbass region. Mm escaping from the war <coughs> and they were lucky to escape because many of others are still like they disappeared mm-hmm. and those people who came to our shelter that time we had a shelter in Kiev for them 
they just told us very crazy stories like people just uh, uh, yeah disappear been tortured killed raped and uh, just because somebody like from neighbors told those people that this person is from LGBTQI community mm-hmm. and bribes yeah <coughs> so uh, this is the biggest fear that's almost all of those people who uh, left Ukraine told me before they left almost all of them want to come back seriously <coughs> and uh, mainly those who left going to different countries <coughs> to host families uh, that's families with children mm. and uh, their mothers for instance dads like elderly people <coughs> so that's because they just don't see how they can survive now uh, in such circumstances <coughs> and especially why it's so difficult because you know in ukraine they are not recognized as a family so if for instance something will happen with one of them <coughs> uh, another one uh, won't have any rights mm-hmm. for the custody for instance that not applies to heterosexual families that's the difference uh-huh. um and tell me tell me a bit more about um in one of our UAs, um, there was, I think in April, we, there was a, a chemical attack on you or yeah. <coughs> uh, yeah, it was in April. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's also about, you know, those ultra-rights groups who are <coughs> still there. They are not like the big force in Ukraine, they never been, but, you know, the government did nothing with uh, reacting on their attacks. Uh, so yeah, they just put the gas in my face uh, on the streets near our office just after we reload the tones of uh, deepers for mm-hmm. and food for babies. <coughs> I think they just uh, noticed that we are there like, you know, and then came back with this uh, gas balloon. Yeah. yeah, nobody still found those people, <laughs> but at least they registered the case. And so, so you are still based in Ukraine at the moment, yeah? Yeah. Um, and the plan for, for insight and your work is, is to study through the circumstances and... Yeah, nobody wants to live like um, among those people who are still there because uh, talking about our entire team, <coughs> it's just two people who are uh, outside of Ukraine, mm-hmm. but they still keep working remotely. Uh, others are in Ukraine. Uh, somebody never left the regions, and uh, some uh, in Lviv and Chernivtsi, like half and half, just to organize all those work in those centers. Mm. And what is it like on a day-to-day basis now? <coughs> That's just like one endless day, serious. Uh, I think we all got tired, yeah, um, because like. Uh, all the days almost the same like you are trying to like checking the mails then responding then zooms calls uh trying to find any other solutions to get something to send to people and then loading reloading packing calling (laughs) sending and yeah it's like Mm. you know all all the same Mm. And do you have any communication with, with the journalists that are working on the ground and other HRDs 
by the way that that's an interesting fact also that um, many those people who were involved in human rights work now completely changed their uh, activities mm-hmm. or left Ukraine or started to you know completely reoriented themselves to the support of the army okay. and uh, many uh, went also to the military forces mm. and those who stayed like they are volunteering um, do what they can do uh, but you know yeah that that's the huge issue that not not many people stayed in human rights work and uh, mainly also those volunteers who doing like support they also supporting uh, mainly army and militaries <coughs> that's why I'm saying that it is pity that so many people who are in humanitarian crisis seems to be left behind like without any even attention mm. uh, because of course uh, everybody now is so um, you know, in, in the line of the, you know, that we need to survive and not survive, but to win the war. Mm. But also we need to take care about those people who still stay mm. uh, because they just can't leave. Mm. <coughs> so, yeah, that that's not enough attention. Talking about journalists, uh, very, you know, I have very, uh, not the bad experience, but weird because the war at two uh, waves of uh, requests uh, mm. to us a huge number the first one in the first month of the war and mainly the same like they all contacted us like we want to come to your shelter give us the trans woman who can't leave uh, the Ukraine uh, who can't cross the border give us the you know the story yeah. we need to talk to trans uh, women and then in many cases you just need to spend with them the whole day translating also you know and then uh, many of them also saying like oh yeah we have this one interview and we need more uh, do you expect the delivery of other trans women to your shelter you, you know in the mm-hmm. nearest time that that's, that was awful and um, <clears throat> seems very disingenuous eh? Finally, I just stopped to respond to those requests. They still there, by the way, like, oh, we're seeking for, you know, we, we need to talk about that. And I understand like, yes, those stories need to be told, but in a very different way. And you also need to get the details. That's not just because Ukraine made a decision not to give trans people and mainly trans women, like they are saying, uh, to leave the country. No, <clears throat> that's just because this Ukrainian law, the war law, have the prohibition of those who have male gender in the document to leave the country. That's why. Mm-hmm. And of course, it affects mainly those uh, trans women who uh, never get the chance to change the documents. So but they would be stopped at the borders if they try to move? If they have male documents yeah. yes because men are not allowed to cross mm-hmm. the border only because of that reason not because of the transphobia <coughs> and that's also need to be there like in mm-hmm. the story because now it seems to me like mm-hmm. it appears like ukraine just made a decision uh. not to give any access <coughs> to other countries for specifically trans persons that's not correct that's not true 
and the, pro- the, the, the general process in normal circumstances for changing identity is okay. There's, there's no issues with that. Well, it's not like the brilliant one, but in uh, 2014 we changed it. Uh, we had a very fruitful cooperation with the Ministry of Health and yes, now mm-hmm. it's uh, much easier. It doesn't require any uh, surgery and sterilization. You just go and obtain the diagnosis <coughs> and then you can change your documents. Okay. Yeah. That's why it's still uh, like possible and we suggest those people who want mm-hmm. to do it still to go mm-hmm. and obtain diagnosis and then uh, based on this diagnosis they also can receive the white ticket which mm-hmm. is exception from the military and cross the okay. border. So there is provisions for them? Yes. So yeah, those journalists who came, they just <laughs> were interested in this one specific topic and nobody never asked others mm-hmm. or other questions or even us about how are we doing because we also mm-hmm. like displaced persons. Another wave, <coughs> it's still uh, there now, uh, is the request from journalists to give them the victim of rape. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the same, like, they just bombing us with the messages. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in this interesting tone, like, but you know, we need to tell those stories to the society. It mm-hmm. should be there. Yeah, this approach very similar <coughs> to these uh, huge donors organizations. Like, they know what they want. And they don't care, basically, what uh, needs do you have what limitations, what situations people are in there. Mm. They just need to get something. They just want the story. Yeah, give us the story. Yeah, we will change the face, you know, the the voice. And that's not the core thing. And the the shelters are... uh, Like they say, they're not being targeted by... Not not so far. Okay. Yeah, but we not publish the address. So yeah. Close. yeah, that's like the secret places. I hope, <coughs> but still, yeah, it's fine. Mm-hmm. How have you and and your colleagues kind of been coping with with everything that you're doing at the moment? Um, yeah, honestly, uh, we don't do anything. Still, we just keep working. Like it's still the responding to the crisis in this mode we operate. Uh, but I think it will be like the limits of course, so <coughs> now we also started to think about uh, what can we do for um, our staff members and volunteers. And the recent thing we did in Lviv, we bought the certificates for massage. <laughs> That's lovely. For volunteers, <laughs> yeah, so they will be surprised very soon in a few days. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, and uh, other measures also, uh, we are thinking about some retreats for parts of the team, you know, mm-hmm. to do it from time to time, at least to, like, mm-hmm. to see each other, to be mm-hmm. there, to relax a bit. <coughs> and in the, in the parts that are, you know, that are still functioning semi-normally under Ukrainian rule, uh, are things able to to function sufficiently, like, you know, you were speaking about trans women still going to try and process their things, or are those things functional for people to still access? Yeah, in uh, in many regions it's still, uh, like, 
mainly you have access sometimes you can do it online mm -hmm. like for instance to go to psychiatry you can do it online okay mm -hmm. uh, not just to, to go somewhere you know so yeah and uh, it depends from region to region but in more safe places like western ukraine uh, yeah uh, those offices administrative uh, mm -hmm. offices they are open okay so at least you can get uh, <coughs> something and the same applies also to um, this issue like we had during first two months with the shortage of uh, food medicines everywhere uh, now it's it's better so for instance for us now it's possible to buy many things in ukraine but the prices of course are crazy yeah yeah and what you know what would your your message or your your ask be from you know what kind of collaboration what kind of support do you need from the international community on, on your terms you know <laughs> well the, the the short term is of course any possible support with <coughs> any goods with, which can be for instance delivered at least to poland mm -hmm. we can get it from there uh and funds yeah so for instance we had a very good uh, experience during first two months then many people donated like this personal donations to our account it was very fast and we used all this money you know to do it like today to buy it and to send it that helped very uh very much mm -hmm. but what i also observed like uh the level levels of everything like attention to ukraine um, measures to support ukraine and donations are going lower and of course that's a, you can expect that because everybody tired <coughs> so uh, i think that it, it should be still like the attention and solidarity there and uh, for international institutions i think like this war in ukraine i hope will be the last one which they'll put the impulse to change the system mm. because that system it seems to me like it exists just for itself which system? like UN system for instance <coughs> it just exists to I don't know to give salaries and something else to people who are involved in it it's just a game for those yeah. people mm -hmm. and they are thinking that they are so good in that but nobody knows what they are doing <coughs> uh, and not like okay for regular people but uh, even I now I don't understand what they are doing because I don't see any results <coughs> so the whole international system of safety security uh, humanitarian system yeah. I think that humanitarian system need to be just deleted mm. and to build from you know <coughs> from the like down up yes because so many countries seriously already have all those practices and they can just say what is working and what is yeah. not <coughs> not those people you know yeah. with the ties who knows how it should work <laughs> uh, do you know if there's any any human rights bodies that have come besides journalists which have a different mandate are there any human rights bodies on the ground in ukraine like documenting mm. violations <coughs> and things some organizations still trying to do it uh, mm. 
<clears throat> but unfortunately, I think the volume is very low. <clears throat> and especially the, the biggest problem now is that just a week ago, our ombudsperson office uh, and ombudsperson was dismissed by the parliament. Very legal way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And now it just paralyzed, like nobody works there in the office. So nobody control anything mm-hmm. and observe anything. <coughs> this is something uh, very, very bad, like in terms of the developments. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, p- put the personnel. That's not the uh, best person ever on this position. But the office itself, many people, they worked well. Mm-hmm. And now it's completely paralyzed. Mm. Oh, do you know what the reason was <coughs> that? They just said like uh, <coughs> the office is not doing the great job. <laughs> you know, that's the problem also of our government. This one, <coughs> I'm I'm personally like not against Zelensky. Like I think that it's it seems like the best president we ever had, but. It's still those, you know, attitudes and these relationships, then uh, they think that everything can be done without uh, procedures mm-hmm. and transparency. That's so, <coughs> so that's why they decided to do that. I don't know why. Okay. Hmm. It's a hard time to do it during a war, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> and during the war, can you imagine like ombudsperson office just yeah. put it away? Thank you for listening to this episode of Rights on the Line. Visit www.frontlinedefenders.org to listen to other interesting episodes. Subscribe and share.